You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Jumpert. All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. You know him well. And hey, we are back in studio. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back in studio. You're right. It's uh, It's been a minute since we've been back here before... Sometime back before the holidays, so uh, glad yeah. to be back and do a little bit of rhythm rhythm of things in the new year. I feel like we were only really in the studio maybe like once in the month of December, maybe twice, but certainly once the football season wrapped up and we had the you know the the selection Sunday had had uh, come and gone, everything like that. I mean, we were barely in. You're right, the holidays came through, but now for the first time back in 2023 here in the studio feels pretty good. It does, it does. Definitely uh, excited to get like I said get into a rhythm and. Get going on everything uh, football uh, as uh, season's over, but as yeah. we know, football season uh, football never slows down. So plenty of stuff in the transfer portal, and uh, obviously Tennessee basketball just keeps rolling. Now we're going to transition this into an XFL podcast, right? I mean that's that's the that's the natural uh, next point for us, right? Just I didn't even the know football going. I didn't even know XFL was back for a second a second year. Good for good for them. Oh, the Rock is in charge of it. Dwayne himself. Is this the second year, or am I for? Is this the first year? It's probably I just think the it's the year. first year of the relaunch. Okay. Yeah, well, that, because the then they relaunch again a couple of years ago. Yes, that that did happen. It, every spring, there's a new football league that is <laughs> at is. best going to fail after the season ends. At worst, going to fail a month into the season. So it's it's too much for me to <laughs> to keep keep up with. All right, so we might not be transitioning into an XFL podcast, but of course, you know, if anything happens, or who knows, maybe a Tennessee player winds up on on one of the rosters. Uh, we will. We will handle that as it goes. Ryan, one of the other reasons why it's just good to be back in the studio right now is because, man, we've kind of been all over the place in the last two weeks. Besides, well, really, I should say, after the holiday break, you were in Oxford and Columbia chasing the basketball team. Jack and I made it to Miami for the Orange Bowl. And then Jack is also on his way home from from Los Angeles, of all places, SoFi Stadium for the national championship game. Man, Rocky Top Insider, we've been kind of everywhere the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a ton going on. So, been on the road, and uh, certainly that's that makes it fun when you, you have a bunch of different big events, and uh, obviously that'll continue on with uh, basketball season as they they get into a flow of uh, a big schedule and, and really some road tests starting next week in, in Starkville and Baton Rouge. I was gonna say, what is the what is the next road game for Tennessee? Is that Miss, that right yeah, there, Mississippi Miss, State? Next week, Mississippi State, I believe, on t- Tuesday night, and then uh, Saturday afternoon at LSU. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, all right, so plenty to get into today here on the podcast. Obviously, like we just said, Jack is on his way back from uh, back from the national championship game. So. He we he will he will rejoin us at some point maybe next week whenever the next podcast comes around. But in the meantime, you got me and Ryan. We're going to be breaking down a little Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball. But one thing I wanted to get into real quick before we start that football conversation is a video. And I'm going to play a quick part of the video real quick. It doesn't even need to go into the ox court or anything. But this this video has gone nuts in the last couple of days. Here it is. Eric Berry, Eric Berry, Eric Berry. 
I put that, uh, that that's Eric Berry for Heisman by Swiper Boy. For anybody who, Legendary. For anybody who does not know or is not familiar with, I put that up on Twitter like two days ago. Then we put it up on the Rocky Top Insta- uh, Instagram account yesterday. Between those two platforms, this thing has popped off for like 100,000 views. People are going crazy over this song. I think a lot of people had forgotten about it. No, I think you're right. It, it was a true throwback in, in the best of the, the Swiper Boy playlist of yeah. Tennessee songs. And obviously a, a huge week for Eric Berry as he gets not inducted, but it's announced that he's going to be a part of the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame class. Yeah, and congratulations to him. Obviously, what a, what a you know, transcendent career at Tennessee. Had a had a phenomenal career in the NFL, but short lived because of the the off the field stuff, the leukemia, uh, the leukemia and the cancer, and being able to to beat that and just the the timeliness that he did, able to get back on the field after that, uh, a career that was cut way too short in the NFL, but a legendary career nonetheless, especially you know for our generation and our lifetimes as well. Yeah, certainly, and obviously I was old enough to have watched Eric Berry play at Tennessee, and he's really one of the first great players that, that I really remember watching. But going back and looking at some of his achievements and, and those honors and being uh, – obviously I, I remembered him being a Jim Thorpe uh, award winner in his junior season, but two-time first-team All-American, uh, all-SEC teams, all three years he, he was at Tennessee, SEC Defensive Player of the Year on uh, Philip Fulmer's last team at Tennessee in 2008. So uh, – Obviously, remembered him being really good, but seeing uh, a lot of the awards and the statistics and validation that you know, obviously, I haven't really thought about or looked at uh, if I ever have in a long, long time. It's kind of been cool just to see just how good he was. He, yeah. he definitely had a, a Hall of Fame uh, legacy and a Hall of Fame career at Tennessee. Yeah, he really did, and that whole class is, is stacked from yeah, top to is. bottom. There's some huge names on it. I think to me, the the two that stuck out the most. Uh, was the little rivalry right there that was with Eric Berry and Tim Tebow. You had the SEC's best offensive player, uh, the SEC's best defensive player, and boy, did they have some some great moments throughout those games. Yeah. I, I can think of a couple of hits in particular, um, but no doubt about it, an absolutely stacked uh, 2023 Hall of Fame class, whatever year. Yeah, Reggie Bush, Dwight Freeney, uh, Mark Richt, another familiar name uh, that was in there, so... Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of guys that you would know. I think Jeremy Macklin was maybe another guy on there. So, uh, a lot of big time players, and um, it's kind of cool looking at them because again, it's like for people our age, and I'm a little bit younger than you. It's a lot of guys where you know them from the NFL, but I didn't know. I didn't remember. Yeah. You know, I knew Dwight Freeney went to Syracuse, but uh, a lot of those guys, I don't know what college they went to. Some of those older players that I remember watching in the NFL was when I was younger. So that's always cool every year when these. Uh, uh, Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame's come out. Yeah, I think if you're around your mid-20s right now, like you're, we're probably getting close to the point where you're saying, oh, those are the players that I first started to to see or to recognize or remember when I started watching college football. Or, you know, maybe you were a little bit before, maybe you are a little bit after, but I think if you're probably around the mid-20s, you know, we're, we're around that, that area. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So uh, two times in three years, now Tennessee's had someone go in there. Al Wilson went in there in the 2021 uh, class and uh, I think you know what comes. Hey, they, they painted the numbers on the field for for him. Do you think they'll do the same? For yeah, Eric Berry and, that's what and all I was that? just gonna say. Is I, I think the way they do that is you go and have every single person has like a, a game uh, at their school where they're yeah. honored, and then obviously I think there's a banquet in Las Vegas maybe at the end of the season where they're all officially inducted into it. But I imagine that'll be the same, and I imagine there will be a game that. Uh, whether they paint in the field or not, they do something to kind of honor Eric Berry, and, and he'll be uh, announced at halftime. Dude, people are going to go nuts. Yeah. People are, people are going to go bonkers for that game. I, there's a lot of Tennessee legends, and you're right. I think about just this last one with Al Wilson and how big of a reception that he got. 
but I, I, I do think with Al Wilson, it's even a little bit different from Eric Berry because you have this current generation who knows of Al Wilson and, and have, you know, heard all the stories, but maybe that's not somebody they exactly saw with their own eyes. I think with Eric Berry is obviously one of these more transitional generational guys that, you know, you do have, uh, if you're young or, or a little bit older, you've probably seen Eric Berry play. Uh, I, I absolutely think this place is going to go completely wild for that game, for that induction for that honor, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know about the like it being that much different from Al Wilson from that aspect. Uh, maybe I'm just, you know, my dad, Al Wilson is his favorite Tennessee player ever, and I think there's a lot of people that are like that. But to me, what I think is going to be a little bit different and might make it a little more special is Al Wilson's around Tennessee a lot. Sure. He's at a lot of Tennessee games. Obviously, Eric Berry could be doing it a little more in secrecy, but I can't remember him really coming <laughs> back to, at least in the last, since he's retired from the NFL in the last yeah. five years. I don't remember him being back uh, at Tennessee much at all. And so that will be, for someone that you don't see around uh, Knoxville a lot, I think that will certainly be special. The national championship stunk. <laughs> I mean, what? You'll have to tell me. I, did, I didn't watch a second of it, so you'll have to tell me. <laughs> you found something better to do with your time. I wish I had done that instead. Yeah, I, I went and saw Avatar, which. I'm not sure I really recommend, but seemed better than football game. A couple of a uh, couple of dragging options, <laughs> three hour movie versus just a three hour uh, uh, JV versus vars- varsity scrimmage uh, on the yeah, on the really. grand stage of them all. TC, you got clobbered. Uh, Georgia just an unbelievable run these past two years. Yeah, no, it really has been really impressive. Uh, I think really everyone thought that maybe not. Georgia took a huge step back, but they weren't uh, at the caliber of a team that was going to repeat. I mean, it's so hard to repeat in college football, and, and certainly to win a national championship at all, you have to be really good. But Georgia didn't seem poised to uh, be amazing again with all the guys that they lost in, in the draft. And uh, as much as Tennessee fans will hate to hear it, I think you got to give Stetson Bennett a lot of credit. He took his game to a whole other level this year yeah. and, and was really, really good. I think you got to give Kirby Smart – uh, a ton of credit. He did not let entitlement creep into that program. You saw this in all the celebrations, how much he had those guys brainwashed into in thinking that they were disrespected. I mean, yeah. you saw, I think it was Jalen Carter saying people said we're going to go 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, hey, buddy, nobody said that. Yeah, nobody but did. That, that is, that's the staple. Every year, Clemson, Alabama, yeah. Ohio State, whoever you see that's there, who nobody, usually nobody ever doubts, they – their coach hasn't convinced that been da- they've been doubted, and certainly that clip of the 6-6 six and six was, was an all-time. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of credit to Georgia, and I think coming into this year, myself, uh, along with a lot of people, thought that it would be Alabama that would be the top team uh, in the SEC in the country when they returned Bryce Young and then obviously Will Anderson and some other guys on that defense too. And Bam- Georgia was the better team from – from day one of the season, from day one, rolled Oregon. Obviously, they kinda, they, they slept walk a couple games in there. Missouri probably being the most noticeable, but really, you look at their big games in the season. Ohio State's really the only one where they looked vulnerable. You know, Ohio State, yeah, uh, really kind of let that game get away from them late. But besides that, the best teams that Georgia played on their schedule: Oregon, Tennessee, uh, LSU in the SEC championship game, and then obviously TCU uh, on Monday night in championship. They were ready to go, and they came out and. They showed they were the best team in the, the country and a, a worthy worthy champion again. So Georgia plays, um, looks like, at Auburn and home against Ole Miss next year from the West. Definitely, it's going next year's SEC East matchup between Tennessee and Georgia. It feels like, once again, Tennessee's probably going to be the, the 
the biggest obstacle standing of their way uh, of a, you know, whatever it is, straight SEC East championship. That's going to be another huge game. That game is going to be in Knoxville this time. Uh, but, yeah, it does seem like early on Tennessee is going to be the, the roadblock, that if anybody's got a chance to stop them, they're probably going to have the best chance uh, being at home. You're right, and if that, I mean, if that game means anything, uh, it'll be a huge win for Tennessee because it's the second-to-last game of the season. Right. And that if Tennessee, if the SEC is on the line that game, to me that means Tennessee hasn't lost more than one game in conference. Uh, so, because you, you look at that schedule, Georgia, it's it's pretty soft. Uh, you know, yeah. I, do, I have seen a lot of people attacking them for that. I, I do think uh, something that's important to note is they had Oklahoma on the schedule originally, and that game got canceled because the same time that the 2024 Tennessee right, game, yeah. we, we're sitting in here today, that news broke and, and yep. talked about it. Uh, but with Oklahoma joining the league, SEC told them to get rid of that game, and, and they replaced it with you know, some small school. So you look at Georgia's schedule, it's hard to find a loss really on it in the regular season. certainly hard to find one before Tennessee. So if that game ends up having a, a – large uh, significance again next season. I think that says Tennessee's had another great year. Yeah, no doubt about it. So one of the one of the factors that'll be, you know, certainly the talking point of that Tennessee football team next year is going to be the offense coordinator. We know that Alex Golesh, he is out the door. He's been out the door for a while now. The head coach now at University of South Florida. Ryan, I think maybe the day that that happened, you wrote an article on Rocky Top Insider just listing a couple candidates here and there. I think at the very top of that list was Joey Halsley, and that is exactly what happened. Now, we're going back uh, about five or six days to, to yeah. cover this real quick, but just any kind of thoughts on, on Joey Halsley being elevated to Tennessee's offense coordinator next year? Just it, it was the logical, it was the logical solution. It was it, the only. There was a, yeah. there was a reason that you know it was number one on the brief list of candidates I had that day because you felt like you know Hypel wasn't going to go outside of someone that really knew his system and the way Hosley has been with him for so long. There was a clear comfort level there, and I, I thought it was really probably a no brainer in, in a lot of ways. And I think the interesting thing, the real interesting note that comes from it is that Hypel will call plays uh, next season and says that. Halsley will grow into the play calling role much like Alex Golish did uh, under him. So that'll be something we're following uh, kind of in general over the next couple years, but uh, especially will be interesting next year is Heupel was involved in the play calling this year, but it wasn't it wasn't a, a lone man operation, which is what it kind of sounds like it will be next season. Yeah, for sure. And, and that doesn't that doesn't give me too much concern or too much worry just from the Tennessee side of things, just because simply we know that this is Josh Heupel's offense and his fingerprints are all over this. He molded this thing from the ground up himself. So, I, I, I you know, that doesn't give me any concern or, or worry or anything. We also know that this is a big community effort to put this game plan together from top to bottom. And this is, this is a bunch of guys that have been together for a while. But to me also, one of the interesting things that comes out of it is this is now back-to-back off-seasons where Tennessee has gone straight to within the program for that elevation or for that next hire. You go back to Josh Heupel's first off-season with Cody Burns leaving for the, what, New Orleans Saints? Yeah. Uh, over with Marquez Calloway over there. Um, Tennessee went within. They went to Kelsey Pope, and they elevated from within. Same thing with the offensive coordinator position. Now, we don't know about the tight end coaching, but you know that's, that's I guess, a conversation for a different day. But for that offensive coordinator position, they worked from within. I, I think that just tells you right there that Heupel very much values trust. He values knowledge of his own system, and I think he definitely values the guys that he's been working with, especially for a long time now. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that he's done that. You know, those two uh, feelings have been on the offensive side of the ball, and I think you're right. I think that's a very, very important part of it for him is finding guys that have an understanding of a system and have some sort of continuity, and certainly we've seen that with the two hires, assistant coach hires he's made since putting together his uh, inaugural staff. 
Let's talk a little recruiting, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. It has been a big stretch for the transfer portal, as we know that December is always going to be. But boy, has it been a big week for Tennessee in the transfer portal. Juwan Mitchell does enter the transfer portal. I think that is the only player that's coming to the top of my mind that went in notable, unless... And he comes to yours? It, yeah, I mean, it, the runs together last week in the middle of the week. There are also the two uh, offensive linemen to enter. I, I can't remember. If, I believe they had already entered when we recorded last week. Yeah. But uh, certainly Juwan Mitchell has been the – Walker Merrill? Well, uh, Walker Merrill had already happened. Okay. We had talked about that. So, yeah, Juwan Mitchell I think is the one, one more recent guy. But when it comes to additions to the Tennessee football team, man, that number is up to seven at this point. They're, they're pretty stacked. Tennessee had four coming into the week, and that was – McCallan Ca- uh, Castles, that was Charles Campbell, that was Andres Cur- uh, Ka- Karik, excuse me, and then is it Keenan Pili? 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 I'm not sure. Pili? We will we will figure that one out yeah. for next season for sure. Uh, but four really good players, but Tennessee brings in three more just on Monday alone right before the national championship. They brought in Oregon wide receiver Dante Thornton. They brought in Arizona State defensive lineman Omar Norman Lott, and they brought in Miami offensive tackle, who is a left tackle, John Campbell, who is a very experienced player from Miami. So now you have seven players who are coming into the program. That does not include a, a JUCO player who is um, offensive tackle. Who is an offensive tackle? Thank you, Larry Johnson the uh, third, who's coming over from Hutchinson, who is a you know almost a little bit of a pipeline to Tennessee for some really good players the last couple of years. Uh, the last decade or so, I should say. But either way, you're now sitting at seven. But let's talk about those three that Tennessee got on Monday real quick. Three solid players in position to need. Yeah, certainly. And it is. It's Peely, according to the BYU uh, oh, website you. pronunciation guide. Um, Keenan Peely is the linebacker from BYU. But, yeah, no, the three guys that Tennessee got, you look at Dante Thornton. He was a guy that I think was on Tennessee's radar from the moment he entered the portal. And I certainly think – uh, when you had Ra Ra Thompson at Mississippi State and Dominique Levette at Missouri, they both went to Georgia. Uh, I think this particularly, I think those were three guys. Tennessee was high on all three. Yeah. And once those two guys went to Georgia, I think there you saw Tennessee really, really up their efforts on Fortin. And to me, it's uh, in a lot of ways kind of like the Brew McCoy situation in that his production on the field there hasn't been a ton of it. There's been more than there was for Brew McCoy. But you look at the talent, and I think it's the speed and six foot five height to go with it. It's a very, very high ceiling that Thornton has, and I think he'll have a chance to earn a starting job. He'll have a chance to play a lot. Uh, I think that's a, re- a really good get for Tennessee. And then uh, the other two, uh, Norman Lott at, at Arizona State, to me, I, I've been a little bit more surprised with Tennessee's willingness, maybe not being the right word, but urgency of trying to add defense alignment. That, that felt like a spot that they were better at, but. Uh, another guy that is a solid player and has been uh, pretty good uh, at Arizona State. Not great. He, he graded out, according to PFF, pretty similar to a lot of Tennessee's uh, defensive ends. So another body. You know, that's the name of the game in the interior, and it's another body. I think that's kind of the same way with John Campbell. And Tennessee, you lose Darnell Wright this offseason, and he was certainly so, so good for Tennessee. And even though you have Jeremiah Crawford and Gerald Mincy, who played a lot this season, neither of those guys – just ran away with the job and were great. And now you've seen Tennessee bring in two different offensive tackles from Power 5 schools. You hit it on the head. Campbell has played a lot of football at Miami, and I think that gives Tennessee a really good option to replace Darnell Wright. And now all of a sudden, uh, I think you have a lot of competition and you have a lot of depth, probably more depth than they've had in Josh Eichel's first two years at offensive tackle. So I think that should make for a interesting uh, 
conversation and interesting competition in spring practice. And then uh, I would imagine that continues in the fall practice as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. And just to piggyback on, on some of the thoughts on those three guys, for Dante Thornton, I think this is the – man, this is a great receiver for Tennessee to bring in because you think about what they already have. Brew McCoy is a big, powerful dude who, who is on the edge of, of your formation, right? But maybe not – maybe isn't as much a, the speed guy that some of these other guys are. Then you look at a guy like Squirrel White, who, who you can tell has a – a great relationship with Joe Milton, who's going to be Tennessee's quarterback next year. But he's a smaller guy, right? He 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 reminds me very much of a Tyreek Hill uh, when he is when he's on the field, right? So I, I think you bring in uh, Dante Thornton, and again, Ryan, like you were saying, the six foot five frame, the yeah. the ridiculous speed on the outside of the field. I, I think he's got a lot of great options and abilities for this thing next year. You're right. No, it, I was surprised when I saw he was six foot five because I'd seen yeah. some of his highlights, and you know it's the speed. It's the speed that stands out. And uh, but no, you're seeing you six five. Wow, you know, uh, that's a very uh, impressive compilation of speed and size. And I think when you, like I said, you combine that, he hasn't done a ton, a ton. But again, he's done more than Brew McCoy did entering yeah. last year. There's less questions about what he can do on the field, and he's had a couple really. But he had a massive game against Utah this year, which was probably Oregon's yeah, best did. win uh, of the season. So uh, I certainly think that he is a guy that fits really well into what Josh Heupel wants to do. And uh, I think Tennessee's lost so many guys. You mentioned Walker Merrill there a minute ago. They've lost so many guys. Three backup receivers into the portal. Obviously, they lose Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt to the NFL. Yeah, I think you feel better with the depth, uh, too, when you add Thornton. At the, at the very, very least, you give yourself better depth. And at the most, I think Tennessee you know, has a, a starting starting receiver caliber player and, and a guy that could have a real big year. Yeah, and I also think that because, you know, I also think that some of those guys hit the portal just because Tennessee's got a bunch of really good young guys right now and True guys too. that they're bringing yeah. in as well who, who are going to be just definite playmakers, it feels like, for Tennessee. Uh, the only other quick notes I had on those three guys – uh, the Arizona State defensive lineman Omar Norman Lott, that was a guy who went into the transfer portal last year, Tennessee contacted, and Rodney Garner had conversations with. He ended up going back to Arizona State, but then Tennessee got their guy this time around as uh, Rodney Garner was able to uh, you know, lock that one in. Yeah, I, I can't try to remember the exact timeline. His cousin was uh, a position coach at Arizona State, or maybe uncle. And then he ended up going to LS. He's now at LSU, uh, Norman Lott's relative. So he had a connection there to Arizona State. I think that probably had a little bit to do with the in and out of the portal situation. Yeah. But again, uh, another very capable body and certainly a guy that seemed Rodney Gardner seemed to have a lot of interest in. You yeah. mentioned going back from last year and then even to this year. So uh, I think everybody trusts Rodney Gardner. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, you know yeah, what I mean? I if Rodney so. Gardner thinks it's a good fit, if Rodney Gardner thinks the talent's there, uh, I think it almost certainly probably is. Yeah, and then last but not least, John Campbell. We just talked about the experience. This is a guy who's been in college football for five years and still has two more years of eligibility on the other side just because of the COVID year and injuries and things like that. But this is also a guy who has started, excuse me, 18 of, I believe, his 34 games at Miami. He started all 12 games for Miami last year uh, before their bowl game. So uh, this is a guy that, again, just brings a lot of experience to the table, a quality player uh, in a big Big dude as well, six foot five, three hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, he he is a Florida native, so that is a a great pickup for Tennessee as well. But those three guys all came in and quite the string right there yeah, on Monday, right three, before the championship game. About three hours separated. I think yeah, we're like one, four, and seven our time. So if you blinked, you might have missed any of them. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right, and certainly a really really busy day for Tennessee in the portal. And 
I believe all of those guys, I at least know Norman Lott and Thornton. I'm not as sure about now Campbell was too. All those guys had been visited Tennessee within a week of, yeah. of committing. So uh kudos to Tennessee staff. Obviously they had interest in him, they got him on campus, and once they did, they were pretty quick in closing the deal. Couple more football notes. Uh, Ryan, bunch of way too early top 25s to come out. And, and don't worry, this is going to be a conversation of ours that we, we milk out a little bit throughout the summer as we need some football conversation later on. But just for starters, if I told you I will set the over-under at around 11.5 coming in, number 11.5, around there, right? Are you going over or under for Tennessee's way too early prediction from you yourself? Okay, so, like so if a top, I'm do, if so I'm a doing top 10 top team or... Uh, top eleven team, I guess, or twelve and beyond. No, I'd probably be twelve and be. I'd probably be twelve and beyond. Uh, but again, it, it's one of those things where I feel like most people who cover any team would say the same thing at this point because you look at it and there's so many questions. Sure, it's and you know most about the team that you are following. Or yeah, you are it, well, it's, it's January 11th, and I think about all the questions about you know I have about Tennessee next year, and you think, man, these guys number eleven, man, that seems high. But you. <laughs> All of about three teams in the country, you look at them right now and you can do the same thing where you find those questions and you go, I don't, these guys don't look like a definitive top 10 team to me. So those things will get answered out. You know, maybe I'd have them 12 to 15, but certainly they're going to be capable of it. And, and you know, like I just said, really, after a select few teams, it's, it's wide open like it was this year. I expect it'll be the same next year. And certainly uh, that's what the next. Eight months for, for figuring out, you know, getting everybody, the rosters figured out in spring practice, and then we'll have more transfer portal stuff after spring practice, and then obviously getting into fall practice. So uh, too, too many questions for me to say, think uh, top 10 right now, but at the same time, it's probably yeah three through three through 11 is probably, people cover three through 11 probably have the same thought as well. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I think I saw him as high as maybe nine. Is that what you had written? Yeah, I think high as nine, low as like low 14. As, ah, they, uh, uh, Brent, Brett, Brent, Brett McMurphy uh, had them at number 18 Okay, uh, in his, his rankings for uh, Action Network. Yeah. So as high as nine, as low as 18, somewhere in the middle, I agree with you. I think probably you see him in that 12 to 15 range, but... Boy, there's still a lot of things that got to happen over the next few months. Yes. Even think about the end of last year's offseason. People talking about, you know, that was the Brew McCoy saga, the, the Lynn J. Dixon saga. Like, yeah. there's still a lot more stories that are going to pop up before Tennessee hits the field again uh, whenever that is in August. Last football story I want to get into, Ryan. This is, again, uh, a couple of days old, but the first time that we've had a chance to talk about it since jumping back in the podcast. Jalen Wright looks to be staying in Knoxville after inking a new NIL deal with Spire Sports with the Volunteer Club. This is a big one for Tennessee because ultimately the Vols are going to bring back all three of their top uh, their top running backs from the offense last year in Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, and Dylan Sampson. Obviously, Hinton Hooker's not going to be there. Boy, was he dynamic with his legs in the offense. Joe Milton still has that dual threat capabilities as well. But as far as the running back room goes, this pretty much puts it. And this is, you know, pretty intact throughout the offseason. You're right, and it's... At least the main players are intact. Obviously, they lose uh, Lynn F. Whitehead, who was injured all season. They lose, lose Justin Williams they Thomas. They lose the rest of the room. Yeah, they lose their <laughs> Basically. Yeah, you're right, basically. So depth, I think, will kind of continue to be a little bit of a question mark there. Um, but, again, it's like, what are they going to do? Go get somebody in transfer portal. Who's going to come Who's going to come to Tennessee and transfer portal running back right now? Because you got three guys who, who obviously have flashed. And to me, you know, I – Said it at the end of the season. I, I think Jalen Wright's the most talented running back in Tennessee's yeah. room. If he can be consistent without fumbling the football, which obviously plagued him all this season, I think he deserves the most carries uh, for Tennessee. And, and certainly, 
it's not. It wouldn't have been catastrophic for Tennessee to lose them because they do have Jabari Small, they do have Dylan Sampson, they have guys they feel good about. They could have added another body in the transfer portal. But again, uh, I think Wright's the best one, and I, I think it's a big boost for an offense that even this year when it was pass heavy was very reliant on the run game uh, to to set things up. And I think will be even mo- more so next year with Joe Milton the quarterback. Tennessee basketball defeats Vanderbilt last night in Thompson Bowling Arena by a score of 77-68. to We're going to talk about that game and the SEC season that is ahead right after the break. Don't go anywhere. we got a little bit more left of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast to get to. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Tennessee basketball with a 14-2 start to the season so far, but let me give you a couple other numbers here, Ryan. Five straight wins for the Vols. 13 out of their last 14 games have been a victory, including two top 15 wins. And the last four or four straight wins to start SEC play, averaging a 22.5 points per game win differential in those games. Tennessee basketball is hot right now as the number five team in the country. They are. No, they're, they're playing really well. And uh, I think the best way you know, uh, of looking at it, putting it is – Tennessee doubled up South Carolina on the road Saturday. They held the Gamecocks to 42 points. Yep. Gamecocks scored 42 points in the first half uh, in Rupp Arena last night uh, on their way to their first win in Lexington since 2009, their third in program history. That says, one, I think it probably says more about Kentucky than it says about Tennessee, but it shows uh, at the level Tennessee's playing at, and they certainly last week just railroaded uh, Mississippi State and uh Mississippi State and South Carolina in two games, and they came back to light or came back to earth a little bit yesterday against Vanderbilt, uh, which is at least what I expected, and kind of what has settled into a classic script of, of Tennessee versus Vanderbilt at Thompson Bowling Arena, a game yeah. that is closer than it probably should be. You never really feel like Tennessee's going to lose; they're in control of the whole game. They're just not blowing them out, and they end up winning between eight and twelve points. Last night it was nine, and uh, it even had what's also been a staple of a, maybe a little. A late comeback from Vanderbilt that's not really a comeback. I think that was maybe two years ago that happened in a game where Tennessee was up like 15 and they got sloppy at the yeah. end of the game and only won by like seven or eight. But yeah. uh, it, like I said, it, just, it felt like a classic Tennessee-Vanderbilt game in Knoxville. It did. And real quick, just going back to that South Carolina point real quick, one of the crazy numbers from that game, you're right, South Carolina ended with 42 points. Tennessee went into halftime with 43. They did not even need to make a point <laughs> the rest incredible. of the game. The rest of even the entirety that. of the second half, and they still would have won by one point. Uh, I mean, that is that's pretty wild. So Tennessee went into halftime with forty three. South Carolina ended the game with forty two. Wild, right? So that really is. And South Carolina's tried the same strategy against Kentucky last night. They went up by eleven with like three minutes to go, and they proceeded. <laughs> They're like three of their next four four possessions. They, they took uh, um, shot clock violations. They right, just so wanted we, the clock to we'll run. Just, just run the clock, baby. <laughs> run the clock, and we'll get back to them. If the clock is running and Kentucky doesn't have the ball, that means they can't score. That means we are in the driver's seat to win. Uh, they barely snuck out a win, but we'll we'll get back to that in a second. Ryan, what's impressed you the most just through the first 16 games of this season as Tennessee has climbed up to number five, as Tennessee has gotten to this 14-2 and two start, as they've beaten a couple of ranked teams, including Kansas, who is a- as hot as anybody in the country right now? What's impressed you the most? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's hard not to say the defense just because of how good it's been, but we've talked about that. And Easy certainly... answer. Give me something different. Yeah, that's what I was, was going to do. I was going to give you something different. I, I think it's the interior scoring that they've really the interior play as a whole, but particularly the scoring that to me, that seems like it's turning a corner uh, the last couple weeks. And that's 
it's been something they really haven't had since the stretch at the end of the 2019-20 season where John Fulkerson uh, was, was playing so well. And Rick Barnes talked about that so much after the Michigan game last year. They lost. They had to have somebody they could throw the ball to down low. Uh, they could score in games when shots weren't following. And really, it's been Olivier Camwa more than anything. He's been really good offensively. Obviously, he was 15 of 15 last week <laughs> from the field against Mississippi State and South Carolina. But Euros Plastic continues to, to be a little bit better offensively. Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka have certainly been, I think, when you talk about those guys, offense isn't what you talk about, but they've emerged and they've been better players in the interior than Tennessee's, or they've got provided better play than Tennessee's had in the interior down low as of late. And certainly Adu is a guy that can clean up the easy stuff. Awaka is a more skilled scorer down low than I expect him to be. He has a good touch around the rim. Now he doesn't he's not gonna be a go to guy. He doesn't play enough to, to put up big numbers, but really all four of those guys uh, are providing some offense and it just feels like they're getting higher higher level of play from their front court than they did this season than they did last season with basically the same players. Sure, that makes sense. And you know, we we go to these Tennessee basketball practices. I, I think we can see, you know, that emphasis that they've been putting uh, on the post game down by the rim whether it's what they're doing with the glass and, and making sure that's more of a priority going forward into these SEC games, whether it's just the, the different approach or the mindset that they're taking, you can absolutely see that this is something that Tennessee is pressing, something that Tennessee is working on, and I think you're right to that point, something that is paying dividends for Tennessee as they're on this five-game win streak, as they're just mowing through SEC competition for the most part. I, I, I certainly have been impressed by that, but I, I think you can really look around Tennessee's team, and you're right, right? Let, let's not talk about defense here. You can talk about Zakai Ziegler and his, and his ability to distribute the ball lately. It has been unbelievable. I, I think, what did you say last night on the postgame show? Maybe 27 assists in the last three games for Zakai? Yep, correct. That is a, that's a wild number, right? As you can really see him start to develop into more of a point guard that Tennessee wants to be running the offense. Just a, a more maybe pass-first friendly guy uh, instead of a shooter. Uh, Yet he's still got that shot in the back of his pocket. He's still got that great three-point shot. I think you look at Julian Phillips and just the aggression that he has. You look look at Josiah Jordan-James, his return to the court for Tennessee, as what Rod Clark called a Mr. Fix-It, right, on either end of the court. You look at Santiago Vescovi, who has been a, a absolute lights-out shooter. And then you're right. You, you talk about some of the post players like uh, Olivier Kamwa or Euros Plavsic and just their rise in these last couple games and, and certainly feeling more comfortable down low. I think you can look at a lot of these Tennessee players. You can especially look at a lot of the different five-man rotations that they're running. You can just see that there's a lot of talent on this team but with these different combinations that they can run people with, Tennessee's got a lot of options to do what they want on the court, whether that's from an offensive or a defensive perspective. That, to me, has been pretty impressive over the last couple games. You're right. No, it really has been. And to me, Zakai Ziegler has been one of the biggest just midseason changes. It's like, it's, like, it's like there's been a conversation or there's been something because sure. it's just flipped in his ability to facilitate and get other guys good shots. And I think... Maybe the more casual basketball fan here's 27 assists in three games. You know, what's crazy? Well, nothing crazy about that. Getting close to 10 assists in college basketball is extremely, extremely difficult. I believe the nation's leader in assists last season only had like 9.5 assists a game. So he's up there in this stretch, and it's just a short stretch. We'll see how long it prolongs. But it's up there with the top passers and the top assist men in college basketball. And to me, that was a big question coming into the year. Sure. Because. The guy Ziegler got to play the wild card role last year, coming off the bench, being the energy guy. Kennedy, he he handled the ball. He played point guard, 
But Kennedy Chandler was the point guard. Kennedy Chandler was a great facilitator. He got everybody involved. This year, Sky Ziegler had to be that guy. And to me, that was a question mark coming into this year. Not as much about Ziegler, more about is Kennedy Chandler's absence going to be a bigger deal than we thought? Because he did, he was so good at creating offense for others. We're starting to see Ziegler grow into that role, and he's getting really good there. And like Rick Barnes said, this guy is not a point guard first. He is a scorer first. He's been that his whole career. Now he's he's turning into a point guard first, and I think that's really going to be a really exciting thing to follow and a really exciting thing to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, certainly, just a lot of Tennessee, or a lot of talent on this Tennessee team. A lot of that from veteran leaders, but then again, you're also getting just uh, great play from the freshman Julian Phillips. Great play from some of the younger guys like Jemai Meshack and just his defensive prowess that he brings to the table. By the way, my goodness, I, I meant to mention this off the top of the uh, top of the show today. If you have not gone ahead and read it, uh, you should go ahead and head over to RockyTopInsider.com, head over to the Basketball tab, and find the latest article that Ryan wrote about uh, Jemai Meshack. It is a tremendous article. So good that it was mentioned on the ESPN broadcast uh, for the Tennessee-South Carolina game. The, the uh, Kevin Fitzgerald, excuse me, I believe his name is, uh, he, he gave us a nice little shout-out there at the end. So go and find that article because it's fantastic. But again, there's... There's a lot of different players that you could point to for Tennessee right now and uh, talk about what they're doing well on the court. But for the Vols, they just need to continue to mix that all together uh, and put it into effect on the court. You're right, and it's the deepest team Rick Barnes has had, at least since his, his third year when his team started you know, making the NCAA tournament. Those first two teams, they played a lot of guys because there wasn't a ton of talent on those teams. And there wasn't. A, and Rick Barnes was using the bench as a motivator quite a bit. Yeah. This year's team is it's deep. They've been playing 10 guys a game, and I, I think that's something that's going to be interesting to follow, and I asked Barnes about it last week. You know, Do you feel like you have the lineups down, the rotations down, James being back? Has it been hard to manage? He goes, we're going to ride the wave. That's what we're telling the guys. Yeah. We're going to play guys, we're going to ride the wave, and whoever's playing well is going to play. So uh, I think that's been one of the weaknesses uh, of some of Barnes' teams, especially you go back to that 2018-19 team that was number one in the country. That team only really went seven deep. This is a team that – it uh, goes 10 deep on its best nights, but it really can go 8 deep at it. its very worst. Yeah, no doubt about it. Ryan, last thing on basketball real quick before we get into uh, wrapping the show up. Kentucky on on the uh, on the table next for Tennessee inside of Thompson Bowling Arena coming up this Saturday afternoon at noon, 12 noon. Man, the Kentucky uh, Wildcats are sliding downhill quickly. We kind of referenced it a little bit at the at the top of this segment. We've talked a little bit about how even the fans, right, starting to turn on, man, holding up signs during the South Carolina loss that said, you know, hey, please go to Texas, John Calipari, a 28-game win streak and Rep Arena snapped. They are, not, uh, they are not trending in the right direction, and they have to come into what will be a hostile Thompson Bowling Arena coming up this Saturday. What are your early expectations for that game? I said last night before the game when we were you know sitting on the bench watching the team warm up, I thought there was a better chance Tennessee lost to Vanderbilt than they did Kentucky. I think you'll see Tennessee be really, really fired up, really ready for this Kentucky game. It'll be very excited. It's their first kind of big game, big home game all season. I think the crowd will be fired up. Chris Lofton night. Kentucky's just lost you know, right now. Uh, offensively, they have no identity. They don't know what they're going to do. Their best player is – their best offense is just relying on Oscar Sheepway to score one-on-one. And Tennessee's not a heavy ball screen team, so I'll be interested to see how much they do of it Saturday. But down in Alabama last week, they just went pick and roll right at Oscar Sheboy, possession yep. after possession, and Sheboy was bad. They exploited him defensively, and he had to sit on the bench. So it's a Kentucky team with a lot, a lot of flaws right now. They're banged up, and certainly 
if there's anything to be said for them, they'll be, they'll be coming to Knoxville desperate and, and certainly won't have a whole lot to lose. But I think this is a game Tennessee will be fired up for. It'll be excited for and a game I expect them to take care of business and win by double digits. I expect a hot crowd as well. Yeah. I expect them to be loud, rowdy, and know exactly what this game is going to mean. I, I think if you give Tennessee fans a chance to, uh, you know, to, in the wise words of Drew Gilbert, maybe to, to you know, put their foot down on someone's neck a little bit more, uh, I think they'll have that opportunity to do so, and it'll just be, a, again, hostile, hostile environment. Hey, what do you say we get into some shout-outs to wrap this thing up and close it down? Yeah, let's do it. Shout-out to two former Tennessee players. Shout-out to Morgan Cox of your Tennessee Titans and uh, Cordero Patterson of the Atlanta Falcons. They have both made the inaugural Players First Team All-Pro team, I guess. I don't know. Both selections for that. This is the first year that the players have come together through the NFL Players Association to vote on the league's best. Now, of course, there's going to be plenty of controversy around the table, um, but hey, you get two Tennessee players on this inaugural list, Morgan Cox for the Titans and uh, Cordero Patterson for the Falcons. Was Patterson on there as all-purpose back? Or He's a kick returner. returner. He's okay. a kick returner. Yeah, yeah. he... He had a good season this year. It wasn't quite as good as the year he had in 2021 with Atlanta. But he set the record this year, which which I think yeah, is the big nod right. to him. He, he set it in uh, against the Chicago Bears. I believe that was November 20th. Took back his one and only kickoff return touchdown of the year. But no doubt about it. Hey, when you break the record, yeah. you're probably going to get some good recognition at the end of the year. But man, he's been great for the Falcons this year. Who, who you know. Did have a little bit of injury concerns right there, but he, he's found a good role uh, with the Falcons and, man, playing like a guy who, who seems younger than a 10-year NFL vet at this point. No, certainly. Yeah, certainly. And, it, again, it's been it's – been, we talked about it last year all, all the time, but it's been cool to watch a guy reinvent himself this deep into his career and really find a ton of success. But I know we've said it a couple times, but that guy loves Tennessee. Yeah, he does. He's, he's, he loves Tennessee. And maybe he – look, if – I feel like there are other guys who maybe not like have more of a reason to, to love Tennessee, but if he didn't have much to do with it, I, I wouldn't be too surprised, right? Wasn't here for maybe too long. Obviously, there's been infinite uh, uh, transition in and out with the you know who's in the facility or who's on the coaching staff, whatever. But this guy loves Tennessee, and I think that's awesome to see uh, for this fan base. Yeah, he probably spent about three months in Knoxville, won five games. His Coach got fired yep, after exactly. So you're right. There's a lot of reasons for him to be a little more passive towards the program, or not, you know, have beef with them, but just not be as go go hung about it. And he certainly is. So uh, there's three different moments on his Twitter account where he he forced his teammates to the best. wear the yeah. yeah to wear the bets. He, he first it was Kyle Pitts, the the former Florida, Florida guy. Then it was uh, Rashawn Evans. The former Alabama linebacker after that that game, which Cordell was in Knoxville for, and then la- this last one, which I had missed originally, he had uh, the punter for the Falcons, and, and I can't uh, remember this guy's name. With it's like Pinion or something, uh, uh, Bradley something. Uh, he was a Clemson guy, and okay. he had him put on the checkerboard overalls on January seventh, right, just a couple days ago. So if you if you make a bet with Cordero Patterson about college football, be ready to pay it off because <laughs> you're probably going to end up on Twitter. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, he he was he was soaking it in, and certainly there haven't been a whole lot of good seasons for him to soak in. So, uh, shout out Arian Carter, uh, Tennessee linebacker signee. Uh, he was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Tennessee, and it's been all about Arian Carter's senior year. He blew yes. up the recruiting rankings. He was a low three star committed to Memphis. He ends up committing to Tennessee over Alabama as the Vols get him in a late push and wins Mr. Football, the highest classification. In the state of Tennessee, now he's the the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state. Just an incredible senior year at Smyrna High School, and certainly a guy I think uh, 
with Jawan Mitchell leaving, a guy that, again, will have opportunities to, to earn a role as a freshman this fall. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then, hey, last but not least, uh, well, wow, I'm actually thinking about this one as it comes to my head. Quick shout-out to the Lady Vols because College Game Day is coming into town. That's right. That's always fun for the city. Uh, but number two, tomorrow, 8-7 eight, seven, uh, eight, seven Central Time on ABC, Candace Parker is going to be on Celebrity Jeopardy. Uh, she is going to be playing for the Mamba and Mambasita Sports Foundation. That should be a lot of fun. I'm sure a lot of people will have interest or tune into that if they have it on uh, if they have it on TV late in the afternoon. But, uh, yeah, a shout-out to Candace Parker, and we'll see how, how good she does. I'm I assume it will be pretty good. Yeah. I, I feel like she's probably very smart. No, that's, that's just certainly the – she's – I'm always impressed by how good she is at, at just coming in and doing college basketball analysis in March Madness for CBS. And certainly really, really impressive, and I imagine she'll do very well on there. Do you think you would do good no. on Jeopardy? No. Not even – what no. if it was like toned down Jeopardy? Like, is that just is that your forte? The the whole trivia questions like that, or is that is that not as much? I mean, I I don't uh, maybe I don't, I'm not smart enough to be on Jeopardy. Uh, you you say the tone the t- the tune down, yeah maybe I don't I don't know. Hard for me to say. I don't know. Bob, would you be would you be good at at Jeopardy? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Bob Baskerville would absolutely be good at Jeopardy. And on that right there. Let's go ahead and close this thing down. Let's go ahead and get out of here. It is late on a Wednesday, late in the afternoon at least, and we have uh, man, we've gotten through everything we need to talk about today. Hey, th- first off, thanks so much for listening today. You can catch the Rocky Top Insider Press, pa- pa- Press Pass podcast, excuse me, wherever. You're already listening to your favorite podcast right now, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, or something in between. Make sure you are going out and leaving us a great, a five-star recruit rating. We would love to hear that. If you have a comment, if you have any kind of feedback, send that our way as well. We'd love hearing from you we love being able to kind of tweak whatever we need to be able to do to make this show as best as possible make sure that you are following rocky top insider on each and every different social media platform that we have that is rocky top insider on twitter facebook instagram tiktok and youtube as we go ahead and as we start to get ready to continue to move on into sec play this basketball season we'll have a little bit more football coming up but man we are not going anywhere here in 2023 in fact we'll be back with Jack Foster next week That's as right. well. We add one more person in the mix. That is always good to do as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. You can catch Ryan at rshump00 on Twitter. You can catch myself at Rick underscore Butler on Twitter. But, of course, make sure you are just following Rocky Top Insider each and every day. We'll see you back next week. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. <laughs>